two factors been affecting this market. One is inflation. Not bad. In line yesterday. Some people saw good stuff. Some people bad stuff. You had a choppy market. Ended up with an all day close. Okay close. It's earnings season. Some stocks have had some nice run in earnings. And from what I'm seeing, the reports aren't looking too bad. But these stocks are getting getting battered. Is it a buy the dip? Can the bulls step up today? This is the day that the bulls got to step up. We're starting Q4 earnings season. Tesla leading the way on the downside for the growth stocks. We'll have to talk about that. My boy, Blue, is going to come on at 8.30 from the CME, the chief economist, and talk about that that number, but just doesn't seem as, as important anymore. All right, Mitch. Let's get this Friday the 13th going. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, uh, coming up on a three-day weekend, the spoos are in the red, 35 and a half handles, just mosing our way down to that low from yesterday at 39.54. Uh, the buck, a little bounce up 25 cents, 102.24. Bond slip in three quarters of a point, 129.30. Crude flat, gold, hmm, flirting with 1900 again, down 80 cents at 1898.20. Silver down 34 cents at 23.66. Bitcoin, good day yesterday and not giving much back today. Down 240 at 18,915. Triple D, were you out there with your running shoes on yesterday? Just chasing stocks and chase, 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 FOMO, chase, chase, chase. No. <laughs> okay, because it 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 was a real tug of war yesterday. It, it fade, really was fade, 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 yeah, fade, yeah. fade. This is the faders market. This has been the faders market for a while. That is what is working. Buy the dip, sell the rip. Buy the dip, sell the rip. Short the rip, buy the dip. Working, 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 working. Chase, chase, chase. Lose, lose, lose. Fade, fade, fade. Win, win, win. That is what continues to work. Chasers continue to get punished. Run over. Smart- oh, we're going over 4,000. Bye, bye, bye. No, you're doing it backwards. You cannot chase stocks. You know what happens? The they get run over, and then the truck backs up and goes over them again. Again. It, it just as they're getting up. <laughs> it does. It's All exactly right. what it keeps happening. Let's bring in somebody that thinks Friday the 13th is a lucky day. Oh, man. We should have known coming into the day. It's, gonna be it's my favorite day. Come on. What are you guys – Come on, you guys really What's believe up? in What's bad up? luck? Come on, you got to shake that off. You can't be letting a number affect you. The 13th is actually my favorite number. If you guys all hate it, maybe the luck will come to me. Contrarian, the contrarian, the ultimate contrarian. Oh, yeah, yes. Got to take it when he you can get it. You guys don't like it? I'll take it. Right? Hey. All right, let's spend the next 45 minutes talking about the 200-day moving average. Why not? That's what you'll see on a lot, a lot of, people, of media today. Hey, if it works for you, by all means, continue to use it. Bitch, you can show your you. chart on that continue one. Oh, I'm already it. there. Yeah. yeah. Look at yeah it. I don't the even put line. it on my chart. Yeah. The yeah. purple line. Last time we were up here, we only hung out a day. A day above that. What do we do again? We can't even get above it this time. Yeah, it's a number. It's a number. I can't give it stars because I don't give stars to moving averages. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll just take the high from yesterday. The one thing that was a little concerning about the market yesterday was it didn't take out the pre-market high. Like you had that fluff in early and they gave it a lot of shots to go back up there and take out the pre-market <laughs> high. And it was just, once again, there was just, you know, Hey, I'm, I had a nice run from uh 3,800 to 4,000. I'm not sitting through JP Morgan uh, and all the bank earnings and, De- and Delta in the red here. So, 
you found your resistance. I think the question is going to be now for the, you know, the next the remainder of the month. Is this going to be like the top of our trading range now? You know, 4,000, 4,050. Then we're going to, you know, grind. Last time we blasted our way down to 3,800 after the CPI numbers. Is it going to be more of a grind down there? Big day for the Bulls, but uh, let's get, well, for the Bears too, but let's get to the J.P. Morgan earnings because there was a stock that just wouldn't relent, wouldn't go down. And then I see the earnings, and then they take it down. Always a tricky stock to trade on earnings day. Yeah. All right. So since we have so many banks, I don't think we're going to go one by one through all, all of them. So I'm going to try to do thing. them all right now. They're so. all the same. And then what we'll Paris do is from that, we'll take a look at some levels. Of course, Joel can call out anything that he sees uh, present. So I'm going to run through a couple of these numbers. I'll try to do my best. All right. JP Morgan Chase here. Q4 EPS. $3.57 beat $3.07 estimate reported net revenues of $34.55 billion. Um, just to kind of give a uh, year-over-year outlook, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Investment Bank said revenue was down 57% year-over-year. Investment banking fees down 58% year-over-year. Bank of America coming in with Q4 EPS at 85 cents, beat the 77 cent estimate. Sales at 24.5 billion, beat the 24.33 billion estimate. Moving on to Wells Fargo, or maybe far low now, Q4 EPS, 67 cents, beat the 66 cent estimate. Sales at 19.66 billion, missed the 19.98 billion estimate. And I'll throw one more in here. Let's do maybe like a BlackRock throwing in there. Uh, Q4 EPS $8.93 beat the $8.09 estimate. Total revenue of $4.34 billion beat the $4.25 billion estimate. Basically, All right, let's run every through bank beat. Basically, so let's just sum up what you just said. Basically, every single bank, bank beat, beat. And every well, single except bank Wells is Fargo. Wells Fargo is missed on sales. Just to kind of. And that's why it's down 4%. So you got every bank that beat, uh, it doesn't matter, not good enough. And you know what? It's about expectations going in as well. And again, running up into all of their earnings was not helpful. JP Morgan is sitting at a three-month high coming into this. Mm-hmm. In a market that is teetering on recession, I'll see, keep saying the economy teetering on recession. So again, you know, I, I just think they're, you know, these are crowded safety trades that maybe are starting to come off here now. So I don't know if I am buying the dip on these today, but I'll tell you, it's still if you are if you are, if you are buying the dip, it has been working. Buying the dip, selling the rip, and just fading everything has been working. Blindly fading everything is making money, pretty much for the last year. Blindly fading everything. I don't I got know if that continues. I got something that's uh. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Go ahead and finish up there. No, I was Dennis. just gonna say I don't know if that continues. I think eventually. You know, the bulls or the bears are going to win here. But I tell you right now, we're just in such a battleground. Overhead supply meets underneath demand equals battleground. And that's the faders market. And we have just been sitting here. And can you bring up like, you know, a one month chart even of, I don't know what we should go with. Maybe just a spy. Okay. Not even spy is not great because we are back up here. But you could go like two months even. I mean, even for all you think about, you know, the run that we've had in certain stocks. The S&P is really kind of where we were two months ago. Just kind of hanging out in the same spot. Resistance, support, back to resistance again. We're in a trading range. We're in a trading range, Joel. Yeah, and uh, you had some consolidation here. Going to move higher. Got back to the area where you had a lot of choppiness, and that's where it's failed. Um, I'm just going to go to – I'm just going to try and give support on these because they're they're so far down. Uh, Just the the thing is – this is where you probably should have had some strength in the earnings. And you did see the strength, right? Because of the banks in a rising rate environment. So this is where the good news was supposed to come. You did get the good news and the stocks are down. So there's a lot to digest here. I'm not going to look at this uh, pre-market law. I'm just going to eyeball one level, you know, just for us to look at. Just not just for today, next couple of days. To me, can the bulls regain and hold 135? And uh, 130 was the big level before they did it. Now, can you hold 135, build a base there and go back up and uh, retrace some of that break? Uh, Bank of America. Bank of America was real stubborn. 
It didn't act like J.P. Morgan. Nowhere near the high of the move. So I'm a little bit uh, yeah. less surprised at the price action on this one. You're 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 challenging a very big area right now here. Multiple lows at the 33.50 area. That's where the bulls are going to have to step up. Wells Fargo chart doesn't look anything like the J.P. Morgan chart. This one looks a little slippery. I don't know if you hold out. Uh, there was some congestion in 41, but the spike low a couple of weeks ago was at 40. And then we just got Citigroup, right? And yeah. Citigroup yeah. down again. I don't know. I see a couple lows near the 46 area. Uh, so there's there's where the bulls have to step up on, on good reports. So not good price action off beats. Uh, and again... You know, one concerning thing is every single one of these major rallies that we've had, if we go back, you know, over the last year, it seems like all, and I should say nothing's every single one, but a lot of these rallies, and you said it yesterday, Joel, or Mitch said it, one of you guys said it, a lot of these rallies kind of come to their end when all the meme stocks start taking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said that made that point before because that's when mass speculation is coming back into the market. And when you get all the speculators really rolling back into the market, that's usually a sign that we're starting to feel a little bit toppy. And you know, a lot of stocks haven't come back, but we've had big runs in a lot of stocks this year. You know, like and again, it's a lot of the January effect, but you know, ARKK has had a nice January so far. I know you can look overall and say it's been destroyed, but we are up in the last four trading days in ARKK about 17%. It's been a big move. A lot of times when you start seeing that mass speculation come back in, it's maybe time to think about ringing the register. So So I got the question, right? The question of the day today. Yep. Go. Is the dash for trash done? And again, maybe it is. So far, it's not looking great for the trash stocks. And what we're talking about is the Bed Bath & Beyonds, the Carvanas. But you know what? Bed Bath & Beyonds holding up. It's only down 10 cents. So maybe it's not done yet. You know, it's hard to say if it's done. Um, I've been day trading these stuff. I don't have a position Bed Bath Me on. I don't have a position no longer in Carvana, so I can freely put, talk about them. They are driving the bus for all these other short squeeze stocks, for all these other meme stocks. Um, I just know, like, these things last a few days, and usually then they start to go back. But who knows? I mean, Bed Bath Beyond's trying to go green here. Bed Bath & Beyond is green here. I mean, I don't know if it is done yet. That is impressive. When you have this, the market, you know, down 300 points and Bed Bath & Beyond is trying to go green again. It's still, it's it's just flirting. It just touched green there. I don't know. It's hard I to say. Know. This is we know 13th. how it ends. It all ends in tears eventually, but we just don't know the path to get there. So <laughs> right now. Bankrupt stocks are cool. Our stocks that are teetering around bankrupts are cool right now. We've read that that book before. But when they will pull the rug, we just don't know when and where. Well, one thing I'll mention is that we've been waiting for those kind of zombie type of stocks to start disappearing, right? Well, maybe it comes after this, right? We start getting to take down more people, punish maximum amount of participants, right? Get them them caught on the long side. For these yeah. these kind of plays that have been getting jumps like a firm Carvana. Oh gosh, right? they've been going all over these things. These are the ones they want. Well, I like I said, and you know, I did participate. I'm in Rivian, and I'm going to stop myself still out at the low of the move, which maybe it's going to happen today. But you know, I was risking fifty cents. I had a target of nineteens to twenty is what I was hoping for. It really hasn't participated as well as the other one. So I obviously picked the wrong one with Rivian, maybe because Lucid went a lot more. I had Lucid for a little bit, but I let that one go. <laughs> um, stuck with the Rivian. It hasn't moved up nearly as much. So if it takes out 1584, I'm out. So it's a buck down from here. So there you go. High frequency stop hunters. You'll hit Denny if you make a new low on the move, and you'll probably hit a few other people as well. But we'll see. That one's still in. I'm up about 50 cents in it right now. So that's uh, pretty much the only long term swing I have. I have a lot of day trades on. I have a lot of, um, you know, smaller, some of these smaller crappy stocks too, um, just because they're working right now. But again, very short leash on all that stuff. So I'm not even talking about those stuff because I do intend to sell some of that stuff. Okay. You know what? I'm uh, I'm not, I'm not intending to sell Rivian today unless it takes out the low of the move. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm more concerned about, I'm, I mean, cause these stocks that y'all mentioned, I can't do technicals on them because they don't mean anything. Uh, but what, what do you do in, in something like an American airlines? Okay. Look at that move for the year. 
<laughs> okay. It's a what huge do you, move. What do you I do think with, during the register? What do you do with your Delta after they come out with earnings, run into earnings? But that that the list just goes on and on and on. Look at your Warner Brothers. I mean, these are just just huge moves in in very very short period of time. I mean, I, there's so many stocks that look like this that are up 20, 30, 40% and that that we just know that that's not the norm in the market. So the meme stocks, yeah, okay, well, whatever. They'll come off or they'll keep going. But uh, these, I mean, these are the ones that, you know, people flock to early and not really necessarily the big leadership in the market. But, I mean, how do, how do you let, like, some of these profits just uh, wither away on these stocks? So big gains in short periods of time. We usually know what how that ends. I mean, look at GE as one of the stocks that's a little bit different than the Dash for Trash, but still has been running strong since that split. They've been running into everything. It's the tale of two markets is what it has been. We've been talking about that. The value stocks are in a full-on bull market. They've been in a full-on bull market. And you get that, you know, and that's not even a dip because that was a spinoff. GE is basically making new highs on the move if you could adjust that chart. So, I mean, you got the GEHC. So, you got to take that line and put it right up back at the top. They're trying to fill a gap that isn't even a real gap. This isn't (laughs) even like, you know, it's not even real because they spun you off. So, it's literally trading up right now close to 100 bucks if you count the GEHC that you got. Does this make sense? Like, I I don't know. But maybe it's, you know, it's P expansion. But GE, I didn't think was that cheap to begin with. They're... They're dashing. They've been dashing for value. And the value trade really hasn't come off here. Even January effect has helped. January effect has helped the Kathy type stocks, you know, the, the zombie stocks, like you say. But it really hasn't hurt. And I thought it would be a rotation, but we haven't seen that. Caterpillar, new all time highs, which is absurd to me. It makes zero sense to me. But I mean, I've tried to play from the short side and it's not working. The stock's making new all time highs. I got to go. So, you know, and, and deer, I thought deer would sell off. It did sell off 25 points, but it's come all the way back up. I know. So I don't know. Like it's tough. There's the tale of two markets here. So I don't know how it, how it goes, but again, there's a lot of capital hiding in value names and they've expanded those multiples and have they expanded them too much? In some cases, I think they have. All right, I'm going to actually bring us back. Let's go to Delta because I thought Delta's CEO made an interesting comment that we need to keep watch of what happens there. Uh, Delta Airlines did beat on their EPS, did beat on revenue. Uh, They saw Q1 EPS at 15 cents to 40 cents versus a 55 cent estimate. So actually seeing a little bit lower on that EPS. They see fiscal year 23 EPS at $5 to $6 versus a $5.07 estimate. The interesting comment that I caught was when Delta CEO Ed Bastian on CNBC said that the outage was not the FAA's fault. I think that's interesting, definitely, to keep a watch. What happened there in the FAA? I know a lot of people are saying that it was more maybe cybersecurity concerns. I think we'll find out. Well, what, what I don't get is Delta is lowering first quarter guidance, but they're basically raising full year guidance. Because they were supposed to make a five dollars and seven cents, and they're looking five to six. So they obviously see a good end of the year. They think it's going to get a lot better in Q two, Q three, and Q four. I think it's going to get a hell of a lot worse in Q two, Q three, Q four. So I don't understand that whatsoever. But you know, they aren't. You know, it's not their job to figure that stuff out. They're trying to figure out whether you know just their own business, and they're looking at their own models. But I mean, I still think we're going into recession in, in the second half of this year. So, and then it's the exact opposite of what American Airlines is talking about too. Like American Airlines raising, you know, all their guidance. So I don't know why Delta struggling American Airlines, at least in this quarter and American Airlines wasn't. So I'm not sure. Maybe there was some one-time items. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't quote me on this. It's the exact words, but I think they like front loaded the quarter for the new pilot contracts. So they might, yeah, I, I, like a, I don't listen to CNBC much, okay? I had oh, which this off CNBC, so I it thought it, a grain of salt. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I heard the CEO talking. And, you know, that, that I mean, that guy's, what's that guy's name that does, like, the transportation? He, he's pretty good. I like him. Not uh, not Steve Leesman, the guy with the black hair. Um, he does all the autos and the Boeings and stuff. Phil LeBeau. Phil Phil LeBeau. Yeah, Phil's not bad. And, and that, you know, that's, that's what he said. That, you know, that they, you know, that, 
the compensation moving forward. They're still hiring. They have, you know, a uh, big capacity. Yeah. Uh, when I looked at this chart on Wednesday, um, and it had a week close, I was thinking, all right, looks like they're going to take some profits in this one, you know, ahead of the report. But then the American Airlines came out with that news, so they had no choice but to juice it yesterday. Uh, I think you just got to look at the recent move uh, from 32. Did it get to 40 yesterday? Let's just call it 40, make it easy, 8.5, this 36 area. Why not come down here and fill the gap right here at 36? So didn't quite get there in the pre-market, but uh, if this is a pullback to buy, I'd see this come down to 30, you know, 35 and a half, 36, and then hold for a couple days. Uh, if not, then there's a lot of air underneath it. So it just, once again, you know, you buy a stock at the end of uh, an airline stock, which has underperformed since 2019. The stock ends the year at 32.86 and it went it goes to 39.62. I mean, I don't even know if I figure the percentage on that. I mean they're huge moves. How can you how can you sit here and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's not good enough? This is just not the environment to chase stuff in. I mean, that's been the case for 2022. This worked in 2020. The stock that went up 10% went up 20% and 30%. And so many people learned the bad way in 2020 because and 2021 at the beginning of it anyways they learned that if they chase performance they outperform and that's yeah. historically not the way you know that's why me and you joel we've been in the markets for like you've been in the markets for 100 years i've yeah. been in the markets for 23 years we've learned the contrarian way because it works more often but there's certain market environments where you've got to change that up and in 2020 i had to unlearn you know, what was rational and trade what was irrational because that is what was working in 2020. We're back to rational trading. We're back to, you know, looking and saying, hey, if stock runs up into the report, it's probably got higher expectations and has a better chance of not meeting those expectations to the banks all today. Wondering why the oh, banks yeah. are down, that's why. You know, they've just, you know, been basically, you know, especially JP Morgan sitting up at, you know, close to 52-week high. So... You've got to unlearn what you learned in 2020 and 2022 and in the beginning part of 2023, not so far much in 2023 because these things just been going, these growth stocks been going straight up. But I think we're still going to have a repeat of 2022 where the contrarian trader is winning and the momentum trader struggles to get it going. They're like, oh, we got this one going. We're up getting up two, three percent and boom, they pull the rug out and we give it all back. If you feel like that's happening to you, You've got to adjust your trading strategies because I'll tell you 2022, yeah, I posted my gains, you know, for my day trading gains, which is mostly contrarian strategies. But and, and that's something to say too. My day trading is mostly contrarian, where you know, reversion of the mean, you know, coming back, like stuff's getting overdone, fading, you know, doing stuff like that. That worked very, very well. It was a very, very good day trading year. Investing year wasn't great because you know, long-term investing, everything got hit. But from a day trading perspective, it was a great year. So if you're struggling day trading, you're probably still doing too much momentum when you should be looking more at contrarian strategies. And again, it might change, but we've been in a contrarian market here for the better part of 18 months now. I think uh, I, and when I when I talked to different traders and we had traders in the bright office, um, you know, that the momentum, what I always found was the biggest problem with momentum traders is there's I think there's a really short leash on those trades. If you have like a major resistance area, right, that stands out that you know that you have institutional selling at for days and weeks, maybe even a month, okay, then you get that fine, you get that poke over. I'll just use XYZ at 39, okay, and you get that poke, you get that one day where it goes to 3915, 3917, 3920, and then, you know, and then it just doesn't hold that breakout area. I think those are the trades. Yeah, you're going to get stopped out a lot, but when the moment when it when it takes out those big levels, you got to you got to be you got to be there. You got to use a tight and also it's good for, you know, potential reversal trades too. And I don't think that's what enough people do, but that and with the moment if you are, you could save yourself so much aggravation. There's sometimes where it blows through a number like a big number 39 39 a quarter, 39 and a half, 39.70 never comes back to that level. But especially in this kind of market where it kind of feels like we're developing a trading range, 
you, you gotta you gotta hit the exit button. I, I mean, there's nothing you know, nothing more relief that's than all like that's getting worked. out, some, getting out of something. Like Taking it ain't worth money and running. That is what yeah. has worked in twenty. If you're sitting there and saying my ten percent gain is going to turn into twenty percent in twenty twenty two, more often than not, your ten percent gain evaporated, and you're like, why didn't I take the gain? You're looking back at that. And that's because we moved to a contrarian market 18 months ago and not the momentum market anymore. And you have to adjust those strategies. So I'm quick to adjust to contrarian. You probably are too, Joel, because it's like in our blood. It's like we can sense when we're moving back to contrarian. I struggle more in momentum markets mm -hmm. simply because I'm, you know, it's not the norm. It's not the norm for a 10% stock to go up 20%, 30%, 50%. That's not normal. That's not normal market behavior. It happens. And obviously, Bed Bath & Beyond just you know went up 150% in three days. So it happens in certain spots. But yeah. you've got to continuously adjust your trading. What I do today will be nothing what, like what I do next month or next year. It's always adjusting. So I have a toolbox, and we teach this stuff. We've taught this, you know, at premarketprep.com and our educational events. We teach the core strategies. We try to teach some of them on the show. But, you know, we're more of a news show here. We try to give, you know, some opinions. And we try to do some teaching. We try to be a teaching show as well. You want pure education at premarketprep.com. We've done these educational events. We've done four of them now. We teach this stuff. So certain markets, contrarian, certain markets, momentum. That's the core. And then strategies fall under that. You know, you can think of a strategy and then it'll fall under a momentum strategy or contrarian strategy for the most part. So, you know, you've got to adjust those and figure, okay, well, this goes this and this kind of strategy is this. And, you know, you do your adjustments. I just want to make sure because I'm going on the tangent. We don't have an 830 number, do we? We do. Uh, we do. Okay, we what do. do we got? Because I want to go wide. <laughs> I was trying to come in here, but uh, import price index and export price index. You'll get December's outlook there. Should I go import wide on that or won't matter? Yeah, I don't know. I don't depends. Import price <laughs> index <laughs> might. We'll know in three minutes when I get Yeah, it depends, fuck, right? Fuck, fuck. Go tight on your offers. Tight on your offers. And we don't think it's the most important number. Bids. Do you have a key for that? Like, you know, Dennis, like offers right there, but like bids way down, uh, way down low. Now we'll, uh, we've sold off pretty good 36 and a hand, you know, half handles. That's a pretty good sell off overnight. Haven't got to the low, uh, from yesterday yet. That was another important thing. Uh, you know, we came down, uh, you know, Dennis, you saw the dip in the morning and then they pressed it off the open got right near that pre-market low and bounced. And then, uh, so we're, we're kind of back in that area. It's about another 10, 12 handles lower yesterday's true low for the day. And this would not what I'd be looking at. Uh, if you're looking for more downside today, and I'm just going to round it off to 3950. You had Thursday's low in that area. You had an interday low from Wednesday in that area, 3950. So 17 handles away. That's where the bulls uh, need to step it up. And, and another thing uh, for you, Dennis, is like you'll you'll trade the open, right? And you'll get flat on your positions. But sometimes you see order flow in the next, you know, in that half hour when you're trying to exit stuff. And you won't, you know, it will, it might have changed your opinion for the day, but you're not out there, you know, trying to, you know, put on new positions intraday. You you see what the order flow did off the open. And then when you come back at three o'clock, yeah. you know, 245, three o'clock, you're like, you know, like we, when we talked midday yesterday, you're like, this chop is, just, you know, it, I, you I know, don't, it, again, it won't go. I will, I've told you my trading hours on this show lots of times. I don't trade the middle of the day. I don't typically trade at all 11 to two, unless we've got a Fed event. Uh -huh. Then we're going to have some, you know, information. But I'm an information trader too. I like interpreting information. That's why four to five is really my specialty because we get lots of earnings and lots of information and there's lots yeah. of price discovery happening there. I like participating in price discovery because I feel like I have an edge because I've, you know, traded information for so long that I feel like when I see something, I'm like, this is likely what it's to do. And high frequency traders don't even, they want to stay away from all that stuff. So I don't have to compete with them. They at shut all. it down. They shut it down. They're not in there to take risk on a JP Morgan earnings event. They just move away and like, we're not dealing with this right now. So we do have that uh, 830 number and we are leaking a little bit, but yeah, little. still on the lows of the session, 3963. Yeah. Export. So again, middle of the day is really tough. It's choppy. The bots, you know, are taking stocks up, down, left, right, BA, select, start. I mean, it's tough. So I think I've never, I haven't made, like, I haven't, I actually, I don't make money because I don't trade those hours. I couldn't make money. So I, I analyzed my trading about 15 years ago. And I was like, I can't work, you know, 18 hours a day. If you want to work the 4 a.m. open, 
from in the equities all the way to the 8 p.m. close. I mean, you'd be working 16 hours a day. You'd be dead. You'd be dead. And I could do it. I was trading a lot of hours when I was younger, and I was like, I got to cut out the hours. So I started analyzing where am I making the most money? You know where I made the most money? A little bit before the open in the pre-market, the imbalances, the open, and then the close, and that four to five hour. That's where the most money is made for me. That four to five hour is huge because there's obviously a lot of news coming in there, a lot of, you know, information. And, you know, and there's, and I do information arbitrage, meaning, you know, if I see, you know, news breaking, be it from Benzinga Pro or be it from CNBC or be it from wherever, CNBC doesn't break a lot of news, um, you know, or, or the news wires, the press releases, I will participate in that. Again, that's a high risk thing. You've got to learn. You've got to put the time in. But, you know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm you know, they, they say 2,000 hours. You know, times five. So 10,000 hours become the master of something. I mean, this is just, you know, the trading. I've just I've just put screen time. And I'm not, you know, smarter than other people. I've just put time in. So, and that's why I'm more successful in figuring out, you know, what this is going to likely mean. Because after 23 years trading full-time, you've seen it before. You've seen a lot of the You've lot seen of a lot of the stuff. You see a downgrade. You see a downgrade in something from you know a big house. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for you're looking for bids, you know. Oh, or, that, or they overshoot because in 2022 yeah. they'd overshoot. They'd be like knocking something down like seven, eight, nine percent. I was like, well, this is worth three. I'll buy it. It's down too much. So there's people who are pricing this that don't know what they're doing. And so I'm trying to bring those prices back in. It's statistical arbitrage is all it is. That's really what I specialize in. If you want to call what I specialize, statistical arbitrage, a little bit of information arbitrage, but statistical arbitrage is probably what I specialize in the most. Now, these are hard things to learn. So, you know, we, and we teach a little bit of this in our our courses. We've taught some of this stuff, relationship-based trading. But I mean, I live off relationships. I don't live off market calls. You know, I don't live off, you know, this, you know, technical pattern. I live off of relationships. Like, you know, like I was saying with the Carvana, you know, when Bed Bath & Beyond started blasting off and it goes up 50%, I'm like, well, I'm starting to think, okay, well, what else is like Carvana right now? What's teetering on bankruptcy or what what, what else (laughs) like Bed Bath & Beyond? Carvana pops into my head. I'm like, it's very much like Bed Bath & Beyond. If they're going to take Bed Bath & Beyond up 80% and it's teetering on bankruptcy, maybe they're going to move Carvana too. So that's when you know, I was moving into the Caravana and I was able to buy it a 440 or something. Again, me being early, I saw way too early. I saw like 540 and I was like, wow, that was a really good trade, 20% in a day. Now it's eight bucks and I'm like, why did I sell again? <laughs> Dennis, you're not running. Uh, someone's asking here about algos. You're, you're running this algo up here, right? You, you've had your periods. I, I did. So again, if you want to know my history, I ran algorithmic trading from 2004. I'm so ahead of a lot of people. Way before <laughs> high-frequency trader was even known as high-frequency trading. I ran it from 2004 till about 2012. So I ran algorithmic trading for about eight years. Why I know a lot about it. You know, I know the systems. I understand it. But what happened was in 2011, 2012, I got too competitive. I wasn't like my systems that I had two, I had two different ready accounts. One was basically all algorithmic, and the other one was discretionary trading. My algorithmic one would make money almost every single day. It was doing really well, doing market making more. It was a lot of market making systems, um, but it just got too competitive, and I was getting picked off and not getting the fills. They changed, you know, the Reg NMS changed the market yeah, structure a little bit structure. too, so that changed things as well. But I mean, it just got too competitive. You know, I couldn't compete. And the reason, it wasn't on speed I couldn't compete. It was the relationships, again, off exchange market makers. Market makers were moving from on the exchange to off exchange. So they were doing a lot of their activity. Oh, we'll go in and we'll get the retail orders and we'll trade directly with them. I mean, well, then they have a direct link to them. So I can't even participate in that order flow. So what we were getting more on my, um, and this is, you know, if you're any market structure people are listening, they'll understand what I'm talking about. What we were getting on the exchange, and from a market making perspective, was more toxic flow, it's called. Yep. What toxic flow is, but it's basically pros want. trading with pros. So the retail flow that would take you out of positions was getting intercepted by the Citadels, you know, and, and I'm, you know, obviously, you know, the name Citadels and, you know, the Virtues and, you know, the other companies, they were intercepting that flow. And that made the flow on the exchange more toxic and made market making on the exchange more difficult. So now your market makers who are on the exchange are the same ones that are off exchange. 
So they just have two operations, but they have kind of a monopoly on the retail flow. And it was the retail flow that really helps to make markets. You know, if you're a market maker, you know, people who are just, you know, saying I'm buying at the market, you know, selling at the bed, you know, buying at the ask. That's where market makers are making their money. So that's all changed. The dynamics changed after Reg NMS. They changed in 2010, 2011, 2012. And a lot of that money has moved off exchange. The retail flow has moved off exchange. You can't control your retail orders at Robinhood. They're sent to Citadel. They're sent to you know UBS or they're sent you know to your Virtues, Two Sigmas. You know, there's a, there's a number. Of, you know, guys know the firms. I mean, if you're and if if you're on those Reddit boards, you've researched the stuff and you kind of know those firms too. I mean, that makes the flow toxic. So that's why I stopped electronic trading on the exchange about 10 years ago. And there's no reason to bring it back on unless the structure changes. And maybe it will. Maybe the changes are going to implement is going to make it more profitable for on-exchange market makers. That's what, you know, the SEC is trying to do with some of these changes. I'm skeptical whether they will work. But, you know, the, it's not a level playing field for trading on exchange and off exchange right now. The off-exchange market makers have a big advantage because they have those relationships with those brokers. So there's a uh, market structure lesson of the day. Uh, hey, listen to this. Uh, uh, Dave Lauer's coming on next week, so you guys can uh, you guys can banter. And, and I've known Dave. Uh, I started talking with Dave in 2009. I've known Dave a long, long time. We've been friends a long time. Um, Dave is fantastic. He gets all this. He understands everything that I'm the talking nuts about. And bolts. Yep. He understands, you know, because he worked in electronic market making too. I mean, people understand this that worked in the field, you know, and I, were, I learned at grassroots. I made my own systems. I didn't learn from somebody else. I learned this just by, you know, starting my own systems. I was never a programmer. I hired programmers. I had four students kids from the for University me. of Canada. Yeah, I had right? students from the University of Windsor. Uh, <laughs> four of them. I had, I had I had four of them working on a co-op with me, and then I had I hired two of them afterwards. Keeping those to keep working well. on the systems. Yeah, and it worked out really well. Like it worked out really well for me, and I think it worked out works out for the public too because we're sitting there, and we're we're putting bids and offers out there on the exchange, so you're making liquidity, you're making stocks thicker. But, you know, when you start getting picked off and your system start losing money, you start to go wider and you're like, this isn't working at all. And you start to back off. And the reason it wasn't working is that I was only getting the toxic flow, taking out my offers and bids. Do we got they our boy Blue. Do we got our boy Blue here, Mitch. Yeah, we got him. We got him. We're, okay. We're, right, sorry getting... to interrupt you, Dennis. No, all that's right, fine. And they're, they're getting bored with the market structure talk. They're like, stop with the CFA talk. So this is definitely <laughs> not CFA talk, by the way. <laughs> all right. Let's get our Blue. You guys know him. Hit the like button. I want to see the likes get a big jump. I know you guys appreciate having Blue Button them on. Let's get them on. All right, let's get to it. Blue Putnam, Managing Director, a Chief Economist CME Group. Of course, yesterday we got CPI. It seemed like the inflation news was good, but how good? <laughs> Very good. Uh, this is like the sixth number in a row. So none of that, ah, it's just one number stuff. We've, uh, you know, we peaked on the headline in June at 9%. Now we're, you know, below seven at six and 6.4. Uh, the core rate, the core rate was supposed to lag a while. And I know it's still up year on year, but the, the monthly rate on core has been running in the, uh, if you annualize it, very, very low 3% territory. That's not the Fed's 2% target, but that's pretty awesome. Uh, so we are clearly in disinflation mode. There's just no question about it. That was It was a very positive number. Yes, it was positive. And of course, we saw the markets react in the intraday to the upside. Now we're getting a little bit of a washout, of course. What should we be focusing on? Of course, the peak rate for the Fed isn't really clear. What are the scenarios that we could be seeing here, Blue? Well, to tell you the truth, I don't care much about what the peak rate turns out to be. I know that's a little controversial. Uh, Fed funds futures will put it between, I think, uh, 475 and 5% uh, sometime uh, very soon uh, in the next month or two months. But, uh, you know, we're close enough to the peak rate that the narrative really changes in the markets when the Fed <coughs> tells us they're at peak rate. They, uh, they weren't willing to tell us that after the inflation data. Quite a few uh, Fed speakers, you know, talked about, well, maybe we'll do 25 basis points in the 
you know, and then, but then a few others said, well, but you know, we're not done. We're going to have to do it a couple of times. So, you know, so they are not ready to go to the peak rate narrative, but when we go to the peak rate narrative, when they do that, whether it's February 1st, March 22nd, you know, whatever FOMC meeting they do, uh, the narrative is going to change to data dependency. Then the, you know, the Fed will stop being an inflation hawk. They'll be data dependent again. And the data on, uh, on inflation is very good. So, uh, you know, I think the sentiment in the market will change dramatically when the Fed changes its narrative. Okay, Blue. So uh, give us something that was, you know, a little bit good about the report. Right. You know, a little bit of a surprise, you know, as far as good news goes. Give us something that was a little bit negative. And then can you update me on my school lunch indicator? Remember when we <laughs> when we talked about that? The enormous do you do you have any updates on my school lunch uh indicator? I think your school <clears throat> excuse me, your school lunch indicator was uh probably not the best news. Um <clears throat> food prices and some things like that are proving a little sticky. Uh-huh. But um, you know, they they're really uh <clears throat> The, the headline was excellent news. The core was where you find some things that weren't quite as good. But again, if you take the core as a whole, uh, a 0.3 per month multiplied by 12, I think Joel can do that with his algorithmic trading, you know, it gets you 3.6, but it's been lower than 0.3 a couple of times, this thing. So we're in, you know, most of the news was pretty good, um, but it was also very close to what economists were expecting. Uh, as you probably know, <clears throat> economists get it wrong more often than right. But if it does come in that close to expectations, any market move is probably overdone because you're going to reverse it the next day because you really didn't change much. And that's where we are. Of course, seeing the inflation start showing that downside action continuous now that we're really getting there, could potentially we actually see the Fed pause earlier? Well, listening to Fed speak yesterday, I did not hear pause earlier. I heard slow down. So to me, I am looking for the, uh, you know, I don't care if they go 50, 25, 25, 25. I, I think the next really big event is when they say, okay, we found our peak rate, at least for now. And now we're going on a data dependency mode and see what happens to inflation and job state over the next six months or so. And I, my best guess is that that is uh, 1 p.m. March 22nd done Chicago time. <laughs> You're turning into a market timer on us. Uh... Well, we, they, I do know when they release the uh, press release, you know, after the FOMC. And they're they're really, they hit that one on the, on the second. All right. How about the other elephant in the room here? Uh, recession talk, right? Too much, too fast going to slow down the economy, you know, uh, which what they want to do to bring inflation down. I'm not going to go into the whole earnings things with you today because it's a kind of a complicated picture. But, uh, you know, where, where are we at? Where are we at on the old, uh, you know, soft landing, hard landing, uh, no landing at all if you're flying on Wednesday? Uh, where are you at on this? <laughs> no takeoff. Huh? The uh, We're in the uh, position that the jobs data is very healthy. We still have a tremendous um, number of job openings. They're not necessarily the job openings everybody wants. We're losing a few jobs on Wall Street and in Silicon Valley. We're picking up more than that in um, in the hospitality area. We, we really haven't gotten back to the uh, peak employment in hospitality, you know, hotels, restaurants, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so those tend to be a little lower paying jobs. Um, but nevertheless, we have uh, we have a very healthy job market. Uh, and I will tell you that if you're looking at the recession question, you really have to ask yourself, when does personal consumption slow down? Personal consumption, that's two thirds of GDP. All right. Mm-hmm. So you really got to get that one right. And interest rates do not make much of a difference at all for personal consumption. What matters is, do do I still have my job? Does my cousin still have his job? Do my friends in the neighborhood still have their jobs? What's my company doing on jobs? 
If the answers to those are you're not worried about your job, your friend's job and your family's job, you can keep spending the money that's coming in. (laughs) And that's where we are. So I'm not worried about a recession right now. I mean, I think the economy slows down a little. That's a different story. That's just because we're we're finishing the rebound from the pandemic and we should slow down to a trend growth. But, you know, fourth quarter GDP is going to be a very strong number. And then we'll slow down a little from that in 2023. But I don't see the recession. I know the yield curve says we have to have one, but it is not in the data and it's not in my job forecasts. It seems like we've been really focusing also on wage inflation. And of course, at the end of the month, January 31st, we'll get another employment cost index report. What should we be paying attention to here, Blue, to definitely see if we can see a change of tune, at least from the wage? Yeah, the employment cost index is one worth looking at. Um, The hourly wages are a lot trickier because they're weighted by who's working anyway if you're adding lower paid jobs they're going to look a little lower whether they really are or not uh, <clears throat> but anyway back to the labor cost stuff wage inflation labor cost inflation is not what caused the current burst of consumer price inflation okay we had the pandemic we bought goods then we had fiscal stimulus out the wazoo we had supply chain challenges and we've removed all those issues Supply chains are almost back. The Fed is taking rates up. They're not doing QE. They're doing quantitative tightening. Fiscal policy, which was massive, has gone away. So let me tell you, all the causes of the why we had the inflation surge are gone, and none of them were wage inflation. Wage inflation wasn't responsible, and it's not going to solve it. What wage inflation does is it, it lags headline inflation, and it seeps into the core inflation. So, you know, if you take economics 101, you're probably pretty bored. But the main thing is you never talked about time. You know, supply moves, demand moves, the price moves right away. The real world doesn't work that way. Everything takes time. So the inflation surge starts with headline, feeds into core, and then wanes away. And uh, so I'm looking at wage inflation because, hey, the Fed looks, if the Fed looks at teacups i'm going to look at them you know i look at what the fed looks at but uh i don't think wage inflation is the problem now we did see in the cpi report shelter still increasing is this the problem here blue because it seems like we can't get this number at least starting to head down (laughs) you know if you take apart all the various numbers in the inflation index Uh, and then only focus on the ones that are above the average, you're going to talk about these are the drivers, these are the problems. That's not the way I think you should do analysis on these big macro numbers. You really need to, it is part, it is important to look at the dispersion around the average. You know, if some are really outliers, you need to kind of understand that. But uh, I'm in the camp that we've removed the causes of this inflation surge, and we just have to be patient. And by the way, that patience is paying off for people like me, um, but we don't know how patient the uh, Federal Reserve is. And, you know, they'll tell us when they find peak rates. Blue, i got to ask you one more thing here before we let you go. And uh, obviously, you know, one, one factor of the economy and what our economy has been built on uh, for years and years is debt. <laughs> Right. And uh-huh. with the with the rising interest rates, right, it's it's increasing our debt. It's increasing personal debt. Uh, it's just, just something that's just, you know, it's going up incrementally and, you know, it's it's going to be relieved step by step. Or, you know, is this and I know I know the uh, the government has some decisions to to uh, to go on raising the debt ceiling. Uh, Just talk about, you know, the the increase in interest rates, the effect on the rising debt. And it's just kind of just like a big bubble, a big problem. I'm not talking like the financial crisis, but do you think there's something that people are just pushing this aside and there's something that's going to come back and uh, bite us in the butt later on? Yeah, debt is a huge topic. Um. So let me start with two points. The uh, over the long run, and by that, in this case, I mean centuries, decades, centuries. As as economies grow, they increase their leverage. That's just always been true. Growing economies that are growing on trend for a long period of time increase leverage. So just having more debt 
having grown for you know the last 10 years or so is, is okay. However, there's plenty of times where the debt grows too fast. And uh, those are, I only know those looking backwards. And when looking backwards, we can call them bubbles. Um, but we're not in one of those, I don't think, right now. Uh, we're in much better shape than 2007 and 8. Uh, but what, what more debt does is it makes the economy more fragile in terms of interest rate increases. So it does not mean that you get a recession just because you have more debt. What it does mean is that central banks have to be a little more cautious than they would have been, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, on how high they take rates in a more indebted society. Now, consumer debt, you know, I don't know what your credit card debt prices, but it, it has nothing to do with the Fed funds rate and things like that. So it's already high. So that's not going to matter to the consumer. Mortgage rates, however, do matter big time. Uh, and the housing market has that that particular uh, boom has been punctured. And mortgage rates are more than double what they were a year ago. Housing sales are down. House prices are down. The shelter part of the core inflation rate will be down next year. So the Fed has had an impact through housing. It hasn't been enough to dent the job market, but it's been plenty enough to dent housing. And, and it's helped, uh, you know, on, on the will help on the core inflation as the shelter number gets put in place. So and by the way, the U.S. is not the only country that's piled on a lot of debt. Uh, some of the countries uh, have probably piled on a little too much, and that means they'll grow slower out of this. I mean, China had a pretty slow 2022. Most people attribute that to COVID zero, but that's just because that's in the headlines. And that was surely the most important, but the property debt overhang there, they're still working off that and things like that. So debt's critical. But in the U.S., uh, we're okay. Uh, that debt ceiling is a totally political animal. We're going to go right up to the end. Uh, they'll extend the deadline twice, and then we'll find out whether, whether we get shut down or not. We'll, I'll, let's talk about that one in October. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Like always, Blue Putnam, Managing Director, Chief Economist, CME Group. Hit the like button. We all love Blue. Have a good one, <laughs> Blue. You. We'll bring you back on. Thank you. All right. How are we looking in the market? Well, first team? of all, do we like Blue's intro better than Tim Quas? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't remember Tim I Quast, like the though. I like the little. What do you mean? That is you Show me the Tim Quas one again. Uh, we got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. Okay. For- nah, not as- You're both good. You guys are getting good with the bells and whistles. I'm telling you, pretty soon we'll be on par with CNBC with the bells and whistles. You guys are getting good at this. <laughs> We've it's all about our content, boy. Blue. It's all Mitch doing it, though. We can't get <laughs> the bells and whistles is what we're missing. This is how we go from like you know the five or thousand people. Hey, hey, hey! We don't have fifty producers. We don't have fifty producers, Dennis. Like some media out there. But you, you know what? The only problem is, is that we have a contrarian chat, right? So oh, if we start doing one. that stuff, they'll be like, "Oh, there's too much bells and whistles and stuff like that." We guys just get to this stock, you know. So it, it's uh, it's there's hard, always right? somebody complaining about something. Okay. Well, Mitch. the markets are calming down. It seems okay. like it, at least the action. What are you seeing in the future, uh, Joel? In, in the future? Yeah, uh, show us, show us. What's in the future? It, it's just we're just hanging out here near the pre-market lows. Not getting, you know, not getting to the point where not getting to yesterday's low where you're thinking, you know, here's the test, but just hanging out above it. So I, I think we see a little bit of a bounce. I see JP Morgan bouncing a little bit off support. I think Bank America, but I think I think if you're, st- I'm, I'm not showing in the hole on this one. I just, you know, we're, you can't you know, in this market. Nothing. The way it traded yesterday. Joel, just, it, go ahead. It's like a teaching course today. And, you know, that's a great point to bring up too. So many people like are just coming here short in the hole or sell it in the hole. I mean, this is not the market for that. A contrarian isn't selling when we're down 300 points. They're buying. I know when it's tough, it's tough to swallow. But you know what? We're not that far from yesterday's low, Joel. So, right. so I mean, you have well, a I level like here even. 292. Yeah. So, so the low from the first, if you want to just go to SPY, and, and the futures are always different because the spy. hours are different. But if you go to the first, or sorry, not the first, the 11th, yep. um, 39138, the low yesterday, 292.42. I mean, we're 70, 80 cents off. So it's logical that you're going to start to find some buyers. And that's what's happened here in the pre market. You're finding the buyers probably right where you should. 
and that 292 to 293 area. I mean, we keep our technical analysis very simple. Lots of people like the moving averages. You know, lots of people like, you know, different technical indicators. And those work for you. By all means, continue to use them. Um, me and you have always just been, I've always said, I teach my technical analysis when I'm doing teaching with Bright Trading all those years. I te teach technical analysis in under a minute. And I think I can do it in under 10 seconds. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> Support, resistance, trends, and 50% retracements. All I use. All I use. I mean, you know, people say, well, you need the moving averages on there. What? You don't know what the trend's down? You know, you need to know that there's a death cross or you need to know this. I don't think you need that information. You just need to know if the stock's trending up, the stock is trending down, the stock is at support or resistance, or if the stock's, you know, are getting halfway back of its previous move. That's all I use in technical analysis. It's worked for me for 23 years. So, you know, there's going to be 10,000 other technical indicators you can use, but they're all derivatives of that, Joel. I mean, the moving averages, they're all just derivatives of, like, you of, know, the, of the price. I, I, I wouldn't like, say all that now. All right, all right. That's a little too course, far. But what I will say is far, but... if you keep your technical simple, and, and, you, you, and, and maybe you're going to have an awesome technical system that's going to beat the markets, but it's difficult. You know, because a lot of people are trying to develop this technical system and this tech, and they'll sell you on this stuff. But anybody who's selling their system out there typically is selling it because it probably didn't work for them. Because why would they need to sell? Why, if you created the holy grail of technical systems, why would you not just borrow all the money you possibly can in the whole world? Go to your banks, go to your thing. If you're making money every single day from these technical systems, why would you not just, you know, employ all the capital possible? into that technical system? Why would you sell it to somebody else? So ask yourself that when somebody's selling you on their holy grail technical system. I just sold you on my holy grail technical system, support <laughs> resistance trends, 50% retracements. That's all you need. All right, now we'll do one last one. I wonder, is this a dip to buy? What about UNH? United Health gave their Probably. earnings today. Q4 EPS five dollars thirty four cents beat the five dollars and seventeen cent estimate. Sales at eighty two point seven nine billion beat the eighty two point five nine billion estimate. So you got all kinds of support down here. I don't know where it's been pre market. I haven't been paying attention to UNH because there's a lot cooler stocks to look at. But I would think <laughs> logically you would have got support around four eighty five. What happened pre market? Oh, that's a pretty good one there for a guy who doesn't do technical analysis. 484.50. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those support lines work, Joel. Those levels work. You just grab the two lows from the previous day, and you think, well, it's probably going to be buyers down there 45. And boom, what happened? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That is. Hell, Come on. We're giving away our secrets. Deeper time frames, man. Those minute traders, they get caught. Anyways, the double bottom from the last two days jumps out like a sore thumb. Like it hit me really hard. Like you know, like yeah. a, your hammer with a thumb. That those two, that that UNH doubles the double bottom. There really stands out. Takes that out. Well, it takes that out. But you know, first time down there, probably bounces this thing's off. Been beat it. up. This thing's been it was beat made by up. UNH traders. I'm not a big UNH trader. Yeah, because it's a it's a four hundred dollars, five hundred. I know it's stock. wide. Yeah. yeah, you don't want you don't want to get dirty in that. Uh, what I would do if you are the buy the dipper kind of opportunity here, uh, always an important number after you trade down uh, would be the close. The closing price from yesterday is ninety five sixty seven, so that would take a nice spoo rally to get you up to that area. Right now, yesterday's high four ninety eight sixty three. I think you'd have to see just a real big turnaround in uh, in the overall market to to see that yesterday's high. But a couple green candles after just you know we talked about stocks that it did really well in two thousand twenty three. Well, this one doesn't fit the bill. All right, let's wrap it up here. It's about to be 9 a.m. We'll see what happens today. Will the dash for trash end? Of course. Uh, Big action from Triple BY in the overnight action. We'll see if it comes back. It's already been leaking, but trying to make its way back. It's trying to get back through that $5. It's your leader of the memes, the Bed Bath yeah, & Beyond. Carvana has taken up and come to. So watch that. So if you're trading any of these short squeeze names or these meme stocks, we always say GME and AMC are the leaders. They're not the leaders right now. Bed Bath & Beyond has completely taken over leadership in the short term of the meme stocks, short squeeze stocks. 
it starts to go five, six, so stocks could start to lift again. It starts to roll over and go down, then you want to exit all those positions. So again, relationship-based trader that I am, if I'm trading any of these meme stocks, and I probably will be trading some of them, I will be using Bed Bath & Beyond and Caravana as my tools for indicators because those prices will lead the other ones. Right now, I actually think it's so far so good because Bed Bath & Beyond is holding up very well on a day that they're selling stocks all over the place. So that's kind of impressive. So it makes me think that there may be more gas in the tank. I have no position by Bath on, but it makes me think that there might be a little bit more gas in the tank here yet. I mean, you just saw a stock go from two to four to six. can go to eight. Not saying it's going to, but it's possible. So you have to leave all those variables out there. Do I think it's going to be $8 six months from now? No, I think it's going to be under a buck six months from now. But I don't know what path to get there. So I wouldn't invest in it, but you can trade anything as long as you know where you're out is. All right, and I'm just looking at if somehow they can, uh, you know, defend the pre-market low as as we mentioned it that's also near the lows from uh, yesterday and the day before. Uh, it's thin on the upside here. It, it really is. We we chopped through this area a lot yesterday, and we you know pretty much sliced through it again today. So if we could get back, you know, don't want to shorten it in the hole, but if you can get that little fifteen twenty handle pop off the open. I think you got a little bit of set better setup on the risk reward if you're looking to short. And uh, I don't know, does it right now? We're working on an inside day. Could this just be the first, you know, after the CPI report, after the first day of Q4 earnings season? Uh, maybe we'll just have just have a sleepy day. See if we can hold in there. So uh, everyone, um, enjoy Monday uh, and uh, enjoy next week. I'm going to take a little bit more time off here. So I'm um, mentioned. Uh, Man, that yeah. trading must be good. I Joel. love yeah, little, That trading little... must be good if you're taking so many days off. Yeah. I know well... we tease you about that all the time, but we're just <laughs> yeah. jealous, Joel. We're yeah, just well, jealous. I got it. Yeah, well, when we get to be 75 years old, Mitch, we'll be able to take some time off too. Yeah, so, we'll get there. Someone in my family is reaching a big milestone uh, on Monday, and it, and it and it's not You want to me. give him a shout out or are you keeping it a secret? Her. Mm. What's the milestone? Lisa. She's the investment committee oh, leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the head of the investment well, committee. We won't say the milestone, but it's a big milestone. It's so. it's a big milestone. Well, happy birthday. Well, it's yeah. not till Monday. It's on Monday. Okay, Lucy so we won't Shingo. give away the secret. We're, so, we're gonna wish her. We're singing her happy birthday. Mitch, write that down. We're singing Lisa. Oh, happy Mitch is on doing. Mitch is doing more than that, man. Oh, take care. I'm putting him to work. No, she doesn't I'm listen. She works. I got. I got Mitch, man. I, I gave him so much work, Dennis. I, he's gonna be working all day. He's gonna be working hey, all day. Anything from my man Joel. Anything right, from my man, man Dennis. Go just blue. like you guys always Everyone do. Everyone, be good go next week. Triple D and Mitch. I say go Lions, but there's no Lions game to be had. Okay. They tried hard this year. They even won their game. They did what they had to do, but the luck just wasn't on their side. Hey, at least they gave themselves some face, right? They saved face. That's what's important. We have hopes for next year, which is always as a Lions fan. There's always hopes for next year, and we got the picks. Lions, baby, in 2023, 2024, 2024 champions. Lions, Super Bowl champions, calling it now. 2024 is their year. I'm a little bit uh, not believing that myself, but I'm hoping. Well, I'll tell you what, Dennis, I know that you've been talking about contrarian trade has been working, and I do admit it has been working in parts of the market. One area, though, that continues strong, oil, man. These oil stocks, they don't want to go away, Dennis. No, they don't want to go away. I was There's trading no yesterday like um, – like. I might be wrong. Maybe it's a soft landing. I was looking at SLB for continuation – um, I was able to ride a little a marathon yesterday, but uh, we're going to look to see if this SLB can keep going. HAL, Halliburton's been really strong as of late. We'll look to see if these can keep pushing. Um, definitely look at Valero's takeoff. Nice little push there. Um, yeah. That's come from like 120 almost back towards 140. We'll see if these oil stocks can continue pushing. One thing that I would say about what you mentioned earlier about the contrarian trade and momentum yeah. is that I feel that – one of the most important parts there is that you need to be so quick to rotation when you're part of these strong names. Right. And that's the hardest part. I think that's where you see a lot of people get caught. They don't, they're not flexible with the rotation. They're late to the rotation a lot of the times and being late to the rotation can just ruin your gains. And so I think that a lot of the times we need to go ahead and understand how we're getting into these 
uh, kind of sectors and industries and where we're getting into it. If we're getting into it at the top, then we need to be keeping closer towards the rotation so that we can get out when the getting's good and, of course, not get hurt when the turnaround comes. Market timing is everything, Mitch. And I'm always early. That's my trouble. I get in the trade. Usually my entries are awesome because I'm early. And then I exit way too early as well. It's just what I do. <laughs> hey, but so. the mean reversion ain't doing you wrong, Dennis. Ain't and doing and you again, wrong. that's worked so. for a long time. And, you know, and I say I don't use VWAP and stuff like that, which I don't. But I mean, you know, any contrarian strategy is really, you know, VWAP in disguise to a certain extent. You know, mean yeah. reversion, you're looking at, you know, coming back down. They're just putting a little more technical basis on it. And Kenny, you know, kills it with that all the time. So I won't say it won't work. I just say I don't use it. So some of this stuff, again, I will say on this show, which I've said a million times, if you have a technical system that I did not mention and it works for you and you're making money with it consistently, by all means, yeah, continue to use that system. Because if it's working for you, results speak for themselves. Never worked for me, VWAP. Never worked for me, Death Crosses and Golden Crosses and Criss Crosses. Never worked for me, but that doesn't mean it can't work for you. So you experiment. You see, maybe that's your thing, not my thing. Feed the ducks when you can, says Jay Rice. Don't know what that one really means, but hey, I feed the ducks. Dennis, go get it. Go get that golden egg today. I'm sure you'll have fun trading like always. You guys keep up with Triple D on Twitter. You always give some great insights. Yesterday, I mentioned... If you ain't fading, you ain't trading, came from Triple D. Don't That's miss a it, great team. trader that gave me that line. That's a fantastic line. <laughs> See you guys next time. Let's keep going. Now up next, you guys get live trading action. Have a good one, Dennis.